On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we'll be looking once again into the 101 Coaching Mistakes to Avoid by Thomas Leonard. Today, we'll be looking at numbers 41 through 50. Here we go. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hi there, and welcome back to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. This is Doug O'Brien. We're going to look a little deeper or further into the 101 Coaching Mistakes to Avoid by Thomas Leonard. Those of you who have listened to these before know what we're talking about. Those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, we're looking at this list of coaching mistakes to avoid by Thomas Leonard. Thomas Leonard is kind of the originator of coaching, at least in my book. I think others would agree with me. Um, perhaps others would not. But nevertheless, he was very instrumental, for sure, in the development of coaching and um, created Coach University and Coach other things. Um, this is one of the things he created so much stuff in so little time, it's, it's remarkable. And so these are really worthy. There might be a couple that might seem a little out of date. That's probably true. He wrote these in the nineties. So yeah, probably a little bit, but they're concepts that are important and you can translate, you know, to the 21st century, of course, you know, when he talks about telling, making a call like number 41 is, is an example of number 41. He writes using email to discuss touchy subjects. That's a mistake to avoid. He says, instead, give them a call, call them up on the phone. That's true. We still have phones. We can also, of course, do Zoom. Most of my coaching these days is done on Zoom. I'm seeing a person face to face. It's the next best thing to be in there. You know, in the early days of coaching, it was all on the phone. There are still coach clients of mine that I have not met face-to-face. -face. I don't, frankly don't know what they look like. I guess I kind of know what they look like. I've seen pictures, but um, not really. Never met them. It's kind of an amazing thing. Talk to them every week. But yeah, when you have a touchy subject to discuss, email is good for routine client services and maybe even for creative subjects. But when the subject is, when the client is struggling with something, it's better to pick up the phone and reach out for some real-time talk. Even if they've emailed you, but it's something that they're kind of struggling with, yeah, you can you can email them back and say, yeah, why don't we talk about this? What, what time is good for you? But getting that real human connection is important. It's amazing how much we can have human connections these days, even though we may be miles away from each other. The persons that I was referring to that I've never met live in very different states far away from where I live. I, 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 you know, have never met them in person. And yet it's a connection. When you have a telephone call, when you have a Zoom call, you can see their face, you can hear their voice. They can hear yours, see your face. Um, it's, a, it's a remarkable connection considering that we are miles and miles away. So that's really important when you're really getting into some touchy subjects. So coaching mistake number 42 that you want to avoid is missing client appointments. 
don't do that. <laughs> I have a coaching um, contract when I start with coaching new clients. And I, I tell them that, that when we pick a time, that it is kind of sacrosanct. We make this um, commitment to each other that we'll be there on time, if at all humanly possible. Now, of course, mistakes happen. People are human. I'm certainly a human. I assume you are too. And we all make mistakes. It's true. And to the best of our abilities, we should be there. Make the appointments on time. So, if you do it, you know, more than one to 2% of the time, then that's a sign that something's drastic about your scheduling system or self for clients. So schedule clients in the back to back banks of calls, um, have a client call. If you don't call them on time, um, set up a reminder system. So you don't forget, use an alarm clock, you know, do these various, those are tips from Thomas Leonard, um, various things. I do have them on a, automatic scheduling thing on my phone. And I also have it written down. So I have a double system there going on. But even then, of course, mistakes do happen. Just keep them to a minimum. It's very important. There's a Carl Jung used to talk about how there's in therapy, doing therapy is a lot like doing coaching, that in doing therapy, there's a, a, a energy that takes place by having the, the, the therapy session happened at the same time for the same amount of time and only that amount of time. So, you know, you, you keep it to an hour or whatever the time is that you've set. Um, he says, Carl Jung said that that creates a, a kind of vessel for change. He referred to it as a timinos, timinos, which is, was a vessel that they used in alchemy. It was a alchemy um, where they, Turn lead into gold, the old idea. So it was a very popular metaphor for, for Carl Jung and his Jungian psychology to, to turn a person, to transform them into something golden, you know, who they really want to be and are supposed to be in this world. That's kind of what we do in coaching. We help people become who they are meant to be fully and completely. So this transformation process requires this timinos, this vessel that you put fire under. You know, and that's, you know, you, the gold transforms in a, in a fire and there's a top to the timinos. It's, 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 there's a seal, you seal it in. It's like a pressure cooker, right? That's your session. So it starts at a certain time. You're talking about important things. You're really delving into things. That's pressure. And it ends at a certain time. You can't go over. It ends. There's a lid to it. There's a top to it, right? It's sealed on there. Carl Jung thinks it's very critical to that for that. We want to do a similar sort of thing. We want to make sure we start on time, probably good to end on time too. I've been guilty certainly sometimes for going over if we're in the middle of something. But I also think there is a lot to this Timonos idea that the pressure of saying we're going to do this for one hour or whatever it is gives you that pressure for change. And it's it's useful to have that. And it should be a kind of sacrosanct thing. Now, coaching mistake number 43 is being blunt or direct without warmth. There are times when you as a coach, when a person who is a coach needs to be kind of tough love kind of thing. You want to want to tell them stuff that maybe nobody else would. You're being paid to help them transform. 
And sometimes that's not easy. And sometimes they're not really wanting to do it. There's maybe parts of them that are resisting. And we need to be blunt. We need to be direct. We need to be that tough love. And yet, clients are paying for truth, not for cruelty. The truth can hurt, so be sensitive and caring. When communicating touchy stuff, keep your tone charge neutral. In other words, clean without gooiness or criticism. Feelings matter. Truth without compassion is needlessly harsh and is unprofessional. So these are the words of Thomas Leonard. And I think that's really, really true. Whenever I'm having a conversation with my clients, um, first of all, I'm doing nothing but that. You know, I focus. I'm there with them. I am focused on them. I don't have my phone around me. You know, I'm not doing other things. I'm not multitasking at all. I'm totally directed on onto them. And and it's a it's a conversation with like my best friend kind of thing or my my dearest nephew or something. You know, there's a there's a there's a relationship that's that's a loving relationship without you know going any over any boundaries. But still there's a there's a there's a caring about it. So while I can be blunt, yes, it's never without warmth. Never without warmth. Coaching mistake to avoid, number 44. Interrupting the client's sharing flow. Now, as with many of these things, you got to be careful with this one, I I think. Because sometimes um, I've certainly noticed that sometimes clients, coaches, coach clients will want to talk a lot. And sometimes what they're really doing is they're avoiding really working on something. So there are times when you want to stop them from just talking, 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 you know, let's, let's get to the point here. You know, there's that being blunt without warmth thing. You want to be, you know, be able to cut them off sometimes, but, or, and sometimes they need to talk. They need to flow. Some clients create as they speak. We need to let them. So I'm going to read to what Thomas said. He said, well, what I just said, he said, many clients create as they speak, so let them. He says, even if the client sounds unclear, give them room to talk it through and make sense of it themselves. Don't pepper with questions or comments. Be there in mind and spirit, but don't interrupt. Be quiet, even when the client reaches a lull or takes a breath. The good stuff is just about to surface. Don't let your penchant for clarity cause you to interrupt your client's thinking or sharing process. Sometimes those little moments of silence where you have asked a question or maybe they just have gotten to a place of their own where you just sit and wait in silence, those can be profound. Those can be really important and very uncomfortable. And sometimes we are just prone to saying something to, you know, put something in that silence. Don't let the silence be there. Let the person, let the client flow, be there to listen, to let them do things. So we have to be being careful with um, the sensitivity to, are they talking just to talk and hear themselves talk? Are they repeating the same things over and over again? Or is it something that they're kind of, figuring out as they go. And so we're there to listen and to be that sounding board. It can be an incredibly powerful thing to do that. 
So be aware that there are times where you just want to let them flow and don't interrupt that flow. Similar to this is number 45, coaching mistake to avoid number 45, peppering the clients with questions, peppering your client with questions. Asking questions is an important part of the coaching process. It's perhaps the thing that made me start this whole essential coaching skills in the, in the first place, because there's a thing in NLP called the meta model, which is about asking specific types of questions to get specific types of answers, um, filling in what's been distorted or deleted or generalized in the person's conversation or even you know, internal belief systems. So you want to ask questions to elicit that. So questions are vital. And you ask questions according to Thomas Leonard for two reasons. One is to get information from the client. And two is to help the client clarify a goal, value, problem, strategy, need, idea, situation, or priority. The mistake is to ask too many different questions without hearing what the client has said and responding to that peppering is annoying. I think that kind of sums it up right there. <laughs> so it's, yeah, questions are important, but you got to listen to their answers and, and ask directed questions about the response that you've just heard. Otherwise it's just uh, annoying. So don't be annoying. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Don't you don't, don't be annoying. <laughs> I think if everyone lived by that rule, the world would be a better place. Coaching mistake number 46, not having the client feel heard. Well, I think Thomas was on a roll here with his listening to the answer to the questions here. So Thomas writes this. He said, in a quest to coach well, sometimes coaches don't make sure the client feels heard. They don't realize that when the client feels heard and gotten, that something new opens up for the client, which is part of the coaching process. Now, remember when you, when he, when you hearing the client and the coaching and the client feeling heard are two very different things. So find ways to let your client know that you both hear their words, feelings, concerns, and dreams, all of it, not just the words. So listening and hearing, uh, you know, are an art form. You know, just because you can hear their words doesn't mean you're really getting it. They feel, they need to feel gotten. They need to feel like you've grokked the information. I don't know if that phrase means anything to you. I think it's from an old uh, science fiction novel, um, Stranger in a Strange Land, if I remember correctly. But to grok something means to really understand it, to get it, to really, yeah, like, yeah, it's in my bones. I understand exactly what you're talking about, right? Clients need to feel heard. So hearing their language, hearing their words, listening and asking good questions to get even better answers, but to really get it so that they're being heard and that they know that they're being heard. Sometimes, by the way, a good way to do that is to use their language. Just a little tip here um, from the world of NLP, using their actual language back. So sometimes we paraphrase what people say, like they say, I'm really upset. And you say like, oh, yeah, you're feeling kind of. Anxious, and we paraphrase what they said. But they said they feel upset. They've used those words for a reason. It means something to them. People have a representation in their mind for what these things words. These words mean something to them. So if they say, "I'm feeling really upset," it's like, "Oh wow, so you're feeling really upset." 
they will get it that you're hearing them because you've used that word back to them. That's what they need to hear. Interestingly, by the way, this kind of backtracking of the language is a great skill to have. And what's fascinating about it is if you repeat the person's language back to them, but ask it in a questioning tonality, like, oh, so you're feeling really upset today? You know, they've just said, I feel really upset today. Oh, you're feeling really upset today? Saying the same words back in a questioning tonality causes them to A, feel heard and gotten, and B, start giving you more information. What's also really interesting about that, when when they hear their words back to them, it sometimes is the first time they've heard those words, because the part of the brain that constructs language is different from the part of the brain that hears language. So although they just said it, they may not have heard it. So now that when you say it back to them, they are hearing it for the first time. I had a really interesting experience once. I had a client who came to me for some therapy, really NLP hypnosis therapy, who was a a Russian. He he spoke only Russian. He was working at the UN, I think, and um, came to me and and brought with him a, a, a translator. This woman who is amazing, simultaneous translator. She was remarkable. And, and so she, he would say something in Russian, and then s- nanoseconds later, she would say what he just said in English to me. And then I'd say, oh, that's very interesting. And I'd respond in English, and she'd just turn it into Russian. It was like this amazing filter. Simultaneous is not an exaggeration. It was like coming right out the other side. It was just remarkable. Um, And then one day, this gentleman got up to use the restroom. So he left the room for a couple minutes. And she turned to me and she said, do you mind if I ask you a question for myself? I said, no, no, of course. And and what was fascinating is that she had a lot of trouble formulating the words. She didn't really know how to make the words when she was expressing her own feelings. You know, the, the language became difficult, became, it was hard. I'm, I'm doing it now myself, which <laughs> was hard for her. She couldn't formulate the words because she was creating it herself, not just flowing through, not just filtering through her. It was really interesting to see that happen. So, yeah, use their language back to them. The client really needs to feel heard. So mistake number 46 is to not having the client feel heard. Don't do that. Um Coaching mistake number 47, coaching mistake to avoid number 47 is correcting the client's language. Thomas Leonard writes, in an attempt to to helping a client improve, I don't think you meant that, um, in an attempt to help the client improve what they are trying to say, some coaches force clients to speak the way the coach does and eradicate, number one, any negative sounding words or terms. Um, feelings that are not productive and positive, attitudes that aren't picture perfect or humanness. These coaches are afraid of experiencing the full range of emotions and restrict the client's freedom to feel the way they do. Unfortunate. <laughs> That's what Thomas wrote. I just word for word. He just puts unfortunate. I think what he meant is don't do that. So again, the client's language means something to them. 
So when you say it back to them, yeah, they're hearing it for the first time, but they're hearing that word that is meaningful to them. So, yes, it is sometimes true that in NLP and hypnosis, et cetera, we say, well, what is that? What is it you want? What are you going towards? What do we want to accomplish rather than what do we want to avoid? What do we want to get rid of? Person walks into my office and says, actually, no one walks into my office anymore. I don't have an office anymore. But if people, person says to me, um, you know, I, 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 I'm really depressed. Uh, can you help me? I said, well, what do you want? I said, well, I told you I'm, I'm really depressed. I said, well, that's what you are and I've been feeling. What, what do you want? I know what are you going towards? Sorry, I don't want to feel depressed. Okay, that's better. Now, what do you want? Where are we going towards? What is the target we're shooting for here other than not depressed? So it's useful to get that language, to know what it is that they're going towards. However, what Thomas is saying here in correcting their language, you know, you want to be careful of of saying, no, what you said is wrong. What you should say is this instead. Um, I think maybe a few coaching mistakes ago in the last episode, there was something about being jargony or um, using euphemisms and, 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 you know, mistaking that for content. <laughs> it's the same thing here. Their language is their language. And yes, you might be able to help them improve them, ask better questions, et cetera, for themselves. But we want to just be cautious of having them feel wrong because uh, this is their representation. And sometimes they really need to be able to verbalize that in order to, you know, ultimately change it in the way that it's right for them. I believe that coaching is being a guide. You know, we, we're not trying to rubber stamp people, fit them into any particular kind of mold. You know, you be like this, be like that. Um, no, we're trying them to help them be the person that they are meant to be. And everyone is as unique as their own thumbprint, as Milton Erickson would say. So your job is to help this person become the best this person they could be, not a rubber stamp of somebody else. Okay. Coaching mistake to avoid number 48 is thinking you should have the answers. Sometimes you'll have answers to the client's needs, problems, questions. Other times you won't. Don't feel pressure to have the answers unless the client has hired you as an expert in that area. You might be an expert coach, but you may not be an expert in the area that they need coaching in. You're not being a consultant unless you are being a consultant. I've helped lots and lots of people. I know nothing about their business. I think I might have mentioned in earlier episodes, one of my coaches, as an example, is a developer, builds buildings. I know nothing about building buildings. I don't know how to do that. I don't have 50 employees working under me. I'm I'm a solopreneur here, you know. I've got people that I hire to do certain jobs. That's true. But I don't have 50 people looking at me every day as to, like, you know, be the boss uh, every day. It's just not a thing. So I can't consult with him. I can't tell him how to do those things, but I can help him find those answers. I can help guide him to be able to do that in the best possible way. So don't think that you have to have the answers unless you are being paid to be a consultant. That's a different situation. And it says here, Thomas Leonard's third point, he he says, if the client is pressuring you inappropriately, ask them to stop and work with them to find their own answers or refer to someone who does. Part of what I do 
as a coach sometimes is to help people find consultants or people who can help with a particular, you know, area that they need expertise in that I don't have. I'm a coach. I'm not a consultant. There is a difference. I'm a coach. I'm not a therapist. There's a difference there too. Coaching mistake to avoid number 49, letting clients follow advice blindly. Don't let your client, I'm reading now Thomas Leonard, don't let clients follow your advice unless you're sure they've filtered and adapted it to fit for them and their situation. Clients follow advice blindly because, number one, they want to please you. Number two, they don't want to or cannot think for themselves. Number three, they want someone available to blame if they fail. And number four, they are stuck in a child-client role. So if it's occurring, stop giving advice and ask the client to generate their own solutions and strategies. So that's where good question answering, question asking comes in really handy. You know, get them to think for themselves. Ultimately, my goal as a coach is to not only help this person become the best them they were could possibly be, you know, to manifest that to, as uh, Carl Jung would call it, you know, to have that self, um, uh, 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 <laughs> I thought I would think of it as soon as I started saying it, but I was wrong. Um, individuation. Thank you very much. Came a little late, but there it is. Individuation. We want this person to individuate. We want them to become the best them they can be. I had a Jungian analyst once who said that that requires sometimes committing the crime of your own uniqueness, you know, because if you are truly you and, you know, like your spouse wants you to be what they want you to be, or your parents want you to be what they want you to be, sometimes being who you are supposed to be and feel like you are, you know, coming into fruition. Sometimes when you do that, it feels like to them that you're committing a crime. You are committing a crime of your own uniqueness. That's a wonderful thing, but it's uncomfortable a bit. It's uncomfortable a bit. So they're only going to get there if they think for themselves. They're only going to get there if they feel comfortable being uncomfortable. And if they advise, follow advice blindly, then they're not thinking for themselves. They might, you know, do good things, might make more money. They might, you know, whatever, but they're not thinking for themselves. They're not individuating. So be cautious of that. Your your goal is to finally have them not need you anymore. You know, that's the goal is that they can leave the nest, if you will, and uh, be all on their own and being fantastic and wonderful. And finally, the last coaching mistake to avoid for today is being too directive with clients. I guess, again, Thomas was kind of on a roll here, got in a, a theme. I think this is very similar to the previous one. Being too directive with clients, he writes this, some coaches are directive, others are non-directive. It's your choice as a coach to be where you want to go and do what you want to do. So you want to coach with it along that directiveness spectrum. And it's best to choose based on each client's needs. You know you're being too directive if, one, you are doing most of the talking during the session. You know you're being too directive if, number two, the client depends on you for marching orders. You know, you're being too directive, number three, if you feel like you are managing the client's life. And number four, if you are not bringing out the wisdom of the client. 
I truly believe everyone has, as Milton Erickson would say, and we've said often in NLP, everyone has the resources they have that they need to do whatever they want to do inside them already. Everyone has inside them already all the resources they need to do what they want to do in life. The question is, how do they get access to those resources? And that's our job, is to help them them get access to their resources. So when you're being too directive with your client, they're not doing that. They're not thinking for themselves. They're not getting access to their resources in their way that's generative, that's going to long be long-lasting and help them in the future. You don't want them to become dependent on you. You want them to be independent. They want to be, you know, amazing thinkers for themselves. That's what the goal is ultimately, to have them individuate and get out there on their own, being the magnificent human beings that they are meant to be. Now, that being said, sometimes with some people, you need to be a little bit more directive than with others. Sometimes people get a little stuck. They need a, you know, kick in the pants kind of thing. So you really have to be flexible in your approach. One of the greatest examples of this, I I, I can't explain it fully, but um, there is a gentleman that, that was a coach for me. He was a literally a, a running coach, not a life coach, but he was a running coach. His name is Harry Murphy, worked at the Prospect, well, didn't work for, he created the Prospect Park Track Club back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. I joined the track club back in the mid-early 80s, 82, I think. But he had a remarkable ability for for coaching runners of different levels and um, personalities. And what always amazed me by him, about Harry Murphy, was his ability to intuitively know what different people needed. And so like we'd all be running these different workouts and uh, one person, you know, he, he'd go like, wow, that was great. He'd be all effusive. That was beautiful. That was the best you've ever done. Good for you. Keep up the good work. That's awesome. And he'd be like this effusive cheerleader guy. And then, you know, for me, he'd be like, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. For you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would make me want to, do something more to get something more from him. And then there are other people he was totally directive with. He said, okay, now you got to do this. And he'd be like kind of in their face and being and giving this directive stuff. It was amazing to me. He was never the same with any two people. It was remarkable. And I think that was true for Milton Erickson as well. He was never the same for any different. I never had the same approach for any client because he, he's the one that said each and each person is as individual as their own thumbprint. Well, you know that Erickson would always be creating new processes for different people, depending on the person. So you work with the person in front of you. So when you're too directive with a client, it's too directive. Doesn't mean you can't be directive ever. Sometimes you do need to be that. Sometimes you, you know, have to be what the client needs at that time. Not forever, but maybe for, for now. Anyway, We are now halfway through these 101 coaching mistakes to avoid. I hope you're enjoying these as much as I am. God, Thomas Leonard was just an amazing gift to coaching, and these are so valuable for us to know. So even if any one of these is useful for you, then awesome. So glad you were tuning in and listening to this. See you again next time. Well, that does it for another episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. 
Thanks so much for being here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed having you here. Hey, if you want more information about Sleight of Mouth, you can find it at EssentialCoachingSkills.com, or you might even check out SleightofMouth.org. That's a nice website, too. Thanks. Stay safe. Stay curious.